Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Good morning. Whoa. Just, um, let me sort this out. I don't know about you, and I'm sure it is the case for many, I live in a constant state of overwhelmed. Life is big, life is busy. Um, I hear all these announcements, I start getting a little overwhelmed. I, uh, I've got eight people in my world that have got cancer, four of whom are family members, one died on Tuesday. On Wednesday I sat with my uncle and he said to me, Mark, I'm a nominal Christian, been to church most of my life. Do you really believe do you really believe? He says, I've gone to church all my life. I believe in God, but I don't know about this Jesus. I don't know if I can believe a story about a Savior who came in a manger. I, I, I can't believe that. His wife got diagnosed three and a half weeks ago with terminal cancer, and she's got weeks and days to live. I'm overwhelmed by people and their stories. I'm overwhelmed by everything that's going on, but I want to tell you what overwhelms me more. Is a blood that washes away my sins. I want to tell you that overwhelms me more is the love that was poured out on that cross. And I don't know, sometimes we carry on. I, I, there's just moments of being overwhelmed by Jesus that nothing else compares. I don't know what's going on in your world, but I'm telling you, if you aren't overwhelmed by Jesus, if you aren't captivated, then I'm telling you, you haven't tasted and seen. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I sit with my uncle and says, do you believe? I said, John, I've seen too much. I've seen blind eyes opened. I've seen deaf ears healed. I've seen shattered hearts restored and made whole in the love of Jesus. I've seen too much. I've tasted and I've seen too much. And as overwhelmed as I potentially could be by all these things and all these people's stuff, I'm far more overwhelmed by Jesus. I'm overwhelmed by his love and his grace that he's poured out and keeps pouring out. And my soul is called to continuously be overwhelmed by Jesus. I'll ask you this morning, please don't be sitting with this man. He says, I'm a nominal Christian. I've been to church most of my life. Please don't be a nominal Christian who's done church most of your life and hit the biggest roadblock in your life and go, I'm not sure. Taste and see. Open your mouth to taste. Open your eyes to see. Open your heart to feel and to experience the love of the living God who reigns. And become overwhelmed by the love of Jesus who captivates your soul. And I promise you, there are portions of joy in seeing him. There is portions of life that will captivate and overwhelm you in seeing him. And the challenges and the trials that come fade into insignificance. And, and the challenge that break in, I, I don't know, I'm just caught up by Jesus. Caught up. Gabe sang that song, I lean not on my own understanding, and I, I took a, a WhatsApp voice recorder, now to do that now, of about a minute and 20, and I send it to a young man who's from this church, who right now is in a clinic because he is caught up with anxiety, and he can't see his way to the other side, and he sent me a message, I need that, I need that. Got a message this morning of someone who got saved, a family who got saved on the 31st of May in this church, and they literally, had, he'd walked from the executive boardrooms of advertising agencies, having been snorting coke and in rehab, 
walks into this hall, gets restored, and a year later, the wife is on Facebook saying, God has broken and done everything. That is the God I serve. I've tasted and seen too much. Have you tasted and seen Jesus? Please don't taste and see of the church. It's not enough. We are purely, and the church is purely a signpost pointing to the one who is wondrous, who is glorious, who is awesome. Please don't just taste and see of Christians. They're awesome as well, and there's some amazing ones. And they're awesome ones, but I'm telling you, it's Jesus. And when I find myself in Jesus, and I see Jesus, and I recognize who he is, and I see the Father of who he is, I find out who I am, and it all makes sense. That's the design. When I'm captivated by Jesus. Don't become overwhelmed by the world. Almost every church I know are doing series on how do you deal with the stress of South Africa right now. I'm telling you, there is only one way to deal with the stress right now. It's to be overwhelmed by Jesus. To spend time in His presence. I lean not on my own understanding. Rise up my soul. Awake my soul. Speak to your soul and call it to rise up and to see Him at this time. Because when you see Him, we become who we designed to be. And as we stand at this time and much going on in our world, I wanted to take a moment to capture us and to captivate us in an aspect of who God is and who he's calling us to be as a people, as a church, in a moment of momentum and movement. Because we're moving. This amazing couple, Gabe and Fee, are planning a church with about 50 or 60 of you in three weeks' time. But it's part of us, and they're, not, they're going to be just down the road, and we'll be together on Sunday nights. But I'm telling you, it's more than just something the church does. It's because of Jesus, on his throne, captivated by him. I want to tell you that the God you serve, if you've chosen Jesus, and he's introduced to the Father, and you're captivated about him, that God is a sending and extending God. And because he is a sending and extending God, we are called to be a sending and extending people. Because we are made in His likeness and His image. He calls us to live in that image. And the tornado of the gospel gets in my life and completely disturbs every bit of comfort. Every bit of all about me. It happens. And if you've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good, I'm telling you there's a tornado called the gospel that gets inside our lives. And one of the things it does, it says, the God you serve, the one who loves you is ascending and extending God. He extends himself to a broken world. He could have wiped the world out. He thought about that. There were other options. He did it once. He could have done it again. But he chose to extend himself, his son, to a broken world to say, let's do this. And his son said, Father, send me. This is the charge Jesus gives at the end of his ministry. Matthew 28, he gives a charge. He knows what's coming. The cross is coming. Sorry, I'm very passionate this morning. Are you okay? It is very hot, and we were supposed to have aircon in last night, but it didn't happen next week. Let's sweat today together. But Matthew 80, 28 comes. Who knows that it's so important to listen to the last words a man speaks on the earth? And how much more? I don't think Jesus wasted one word on this earth. But how much more emphasis, how much more precise focus and clear communication than his last charge to us. 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You've heard it a thousand times, and we're going to keep speaking it a thousand times because the minute the church takes their eyes off Jesus and stops seeing the charge and the call he gives us, we become introspective, and the gospel becomes about us. And when the gospel becomes about us, there's no power. When the gospel becomes about us, there's no fire because it's not about him. And I want to just mention a few things. Where is Jesus now? Where is he now? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is seated on his throne, even with economic pressures, yes. Even with challenges of health and AIDS and stuff, yes, he's still on his throne. And he's seated on his throne with kingdom authority. He is ruling and he is reigning and he is advancing his kingdom as a, as, a, as a general in heaven, calling his people to respond as a lover, calling those he loves to respond and rise in. That's where he is seated. I trust you know that. I trust that it's so deep down inside of who you are that when the winds begin to blow, what settles you is Jesus is on his throne and no wind is going to blow him off. It's not Cape Town, the buster that comes through and people can't walk across Bree Street because the wind's blowing. This is Jesus. All authority. Then he says, so go and make disciples. It's all about the gospel. You see, when the gospel gets in people's hearts, it completely wrecks their world. I love the name Life Changes. Can I just put that out there? I love it. Because it's what I see the gospel does. It's what happens. It's what it should look like. It's what it should taste like. It's what it should feel like. If we open our hearts and our minds to the gospel, it breaks open and completely wrecks our worlds in the best kind of way. But it's not, come to Jesus, all authority, I'm in control. You just park. Just relax. Just stay still. Don't move. Actually, Christians hibernate until I come again. It's not go and live your comfortable lives. Not go and experience no pain. Go and you will not have any challenge. It's go and make disciples. How? By encountering Jesus. And then he makes this promise, surely I am with you. Surely I am with you. Do you understand the promise of that is, the power of that is? But there's, a, there's something in there I want to speak, and I'm not an English teacher, so I had to go do some research. But that you, in the original text, a second person plural, that you is not to an individual. It's me and my Bible and my little study. God is with me. He's not writing to one person. He's writing to a group of people. He's writing to the church. He's writing to those who called on his name and said, we will rise up. He says, surely I am with you. Surely I'm with you. And when we get the you of the gospel, we understand it's not about me. It's about him. He says, surely I am with you. A promise, not to the individual, but to the community of believers. And then he gives this final promise I'll be waiting for you. I'll be waiting for you. I am with you to the very end of the age. At the end of time, I'm waiting for you. And there's a good ending to the story. I just, I think when we get captivated, we lift the eyes of Jesus and we stop seeing the end game, 
We get caught up with the middle game. We get caught up with everything that's going on in the middle. And anxiety will rise, guys. Fear will rise. Anxiousness and all this stuff will rise up. But I promise you, when we're caught up on the promises of God, get on with the gospel and watch out. The end days are coming and they're going to be good. And I don't know exactly what it looks like. And I'm sitting with an intellectual, philosophical man. And he's saying, well, what's happening now? Talk to me. And I said, well, to be honest, you know it. I've said it. I'm a pan-outist. Everything's going to pan out. I trust in Jesus. He's coming back. He's going to be on the cross. I'm not more clever than that. Sorry to disappoint you. But he'll be waiting for us. What do you believe? What do you believe? And as we go on this journey, I've had to ask myself the question, what do we believe? Because if I don't believe the power in the gospel and the going, we shouldn't plant a site in Milton. We shouldn't do anything. We should just stay here like Peter, James, and John on the mountain, enjoying each other's company, enjoying Jesus, focus on ourselves, make sure we look after the sheepies that God has sent us. Stroke them. Love them. You're looking lovely today. Honestly, that will kill me. Because I don't see that as the gospel call. The gospel call is bigger. The gospel call is out. The gospel call is go. It's get out of the church. Find the fire. Find Jesus. Find each other and go on mission together. And yes, it is an overused word at the moment in the church, but the reason it needed to be overused, the word mission, coming from missio, means the sent ones. The reason it needed to be overused, church got focused on self. Have we got the right theology? We can't go to the world unless we've got it all perfectly packaged. Rubbish! Some of the best evangelists are three days saved. I'm telling you. Hey, Brew, do you know what Jesus did? My one mate got saved in a surf shop here in Bloberg. He, he gets told the gospel by a man, and, and basically all these surfers around the surf shop, his brother walks in who misses the whole conversation and said, what's going on? He says, hey, Brew, we stuffed. <laughs> he says, what do you mean? Honestly, unless we give our lives to Jesus, we got nothing. In the shop, they both get saved. That is the gospel. When a man who's heard the gospel one minute ago tells his brother about the glorious Savior Jesus and his life, if the word stuffed offends you, I apologize. That's exactly what he said. Just want to be accurate. But why plant Milneton life changes? Because God is ascending and extending God. Let me just tell you, to be Christian is to take your talents, your giftings, everything God has given you, and give it away to the world. To be Christian is not to say, I've been given so much by Jesus, I'm just going to pack it into my pantry and keep it there and just keep drawing on it. To be Christian is not live with this little ticket for heaven, a get-out clause one day when you get to heaven. It's so small. And there is some theological truth that we'll get to heaven and Jesus will cover us. Yes, but he's calling us into a life that counts for so much more now. To be Christian is to be called by Christ into his ministry. To be Christian is to be taken out of a kingdom there is no life and it's all about me into a kingdom when it's about him. And he takes us into the bigger story. That's what it is to be Christian and to believe. And you say, Mark, I'm not sure my life counts for anything. I promise you, live for Jesus and watch the explosions happen. You get pulled into God's ministry. And there's a scripture we've read and Gabe preached about it recently, so I'm not going to major on it. 
But I want to use a couple of characters because we go to Abraham first and the Abrahamic blessing, and I want to read it again. But the amazing thing is this is the first time Abram encounters the living God. You've got to understand what's going on. It's not like he's, he's walked with God for years. He'd heard of God. He'd walked with God's people. But he encounters the glory of God. What's the first thing God says to him? Genesis 12, verse 1 to 4. It's on the screen. But if you have your Bibles, won't you grab them and turn there? I, I, it's so important to me that we start navigating our ways. Genesis is easy. It's right at the start. And uh, page 9 in my Bible. He encounters the living God. And the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. How can you say that, God? I've got to honor my father and listen to my father. No, go. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, and the Lord had to, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. couple of things. To encounter the living God is to live a life on mission. It's not an optional extra that you tick at the bottom. To encounter Jesus is to be captivated and sent, Go. And whether it's go to your work and take the glory of God or go to a foreign nation and take the glory of God to that place, it's go. Actually, receive Jesus. What's the first commission? Get out. Sorry, what? Now leave everything you know, Moses, Abram. Leave everything you know, everything you're comfortable with, everything. But surely for the gospel, I can use my connections at school here. I tried that with God. I went to school in Durban. I went, surely, God, you want me to leave, lead a church in Durban where people know me. And he says, it's not about you. I nearly said a word. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about me and the gospel that works. The gospel works. So he says, go. Abram gets this call, get out. Out of your homeland, everything you know. Out of the safety zones where the safety nets abound and it's family and it's friends. Get out. Take great risks. Make great moves for God. And you know what? If you fail, so what? I'm with you. And everyone loves the blessing part. I will make your name great. Yes, Lord. Give you tents. Yes, Lord. I will, whoever curses you, I will curse. I take that. I receive that, Jesus. But not many people want to get out that I think is so intrinsically part of the gospel. But I know what you're saying. I've heard this before, Mark. That was a one-off. Big A was the good guy. Well, what about a couple other? What about Moses? You've heard about Moses. But Exodus 3, when the Lord saw that he, when, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within a bush, and God calls to Moses, Moses! Moses! Moses, here I am. And God is speaking to him from a bush. I haven't had a bush speak to me for quite a while. Long time, actually. Probably never. But the living God cannot reveal himself to him because he couldn't handle it. So he reveals himself as a burnish bush and speaks to him. And Moses is for the first time caught up. See, Moses knew God. He knew the people of God. He'd walk. But he has a first time encounter with the glory of God. And the first thing God says to him is, so I've, I've indeed, like, like Nehemiah, I've indeed, verse 7, seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slaves, and I am concerned about their suffering. 
You worship a God who so cares. 1 Peter 5 verse 7. Cast your burdens onto Jesus. He cares for you. God cares, and he cares, and he grips a man's heart. How does he do that? By revealing himself to Moses. Then he says, go. And God said, oh, so now go. Verse 10, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people and Israelites out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go, go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Okay, big guys. Well, what about New Testament? What about Peter? He's just the simple fisherman. He's known something of Jesus' seen, but, but God breaks in. In Luke 5, we read in, chapter, in verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. What happens? Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid from now and you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on shore, led everything and followed him. He's, he's, he's an experienced fisherman. He's tossed nets all night. Jesus says, this side. And he goes, this is God. My job is not to motivate you for mission. My job is to motivate you to see him. My job is not to create vision and say, come on church, let's do this. All I want to do is you to see Jesus. And I promise you, you'll want to go further than I have dreams and, and courage for. It's what happens when Jesus gets in the fiber and the DNA of the church. He says, you want to be a fisher of fish, little flappy fish? I'm going to make you and be a fisherman of men. Go. I'm going to take you on a journey, Peter. I'm going to rip you out of every comfort zone you have. You and your hothead. I'm going to take you and we're going to become fishers of men. And you're going to extend yourself beyond the boundaries of your little boat. Into a world. What about Isaiah? Isaiah 6. And he's a prophet. He knows God. But he has this first time encounter with the glory of God. And it says this amazing line in verse 1 of chapter 6. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. High and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim and cherubim. And a whole bunch of stuff were going on. And he's just caught up with the wonder, I saw the Lord. And you're sitting with someone who's got cancer and their wife is dying with cancer. And they say, do you believe? And I say, I've seen too much to not believe. And I've heard, I've said it before here, I'm the kid who liked to be liked. I was this big for a long time. And I grew up using this thing to get attention so that people would like me. In standard six, I was the second, second shortest guy in DHS. 220 boys in standard six. The other guy was Sishi. He was a midget. And, um, and honestly, he's still my mate. And, and the challenge, we, we, and then I grew up after school, and you realize God has to get inside here and break open. How does that happen? I see the Lord. Have you seen the Lord? If you haven't, let's let you see the Lord and let allow you to taste and see. The church's role is to create opportunities and possibilities for people to taste and see, not the church, to see the Lord. Why do we want to go to Milneton? We want to create another opportunity for people to taste and see the Lord. Are there churches there? Yes. The Bible says plant churches and allow people to taste and see that God is good. 
So what does God say to Isaiah? He overwhelms him. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, verse 8, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people. And what's the message? It's not a happy message. It's be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Basically, you're a bunch of Charlies. You're not going to hear and you're not going to see. I just got told to come and tell you that. Fortunately, we have a better message. That wasn't the good news. We get the good news to tell. But the trend is this and the story is this and I can keep going with Bible story after Bible story and true life story in this context of the story. But the minute we see him, the minute the gospel breaks inside, a tornado begins to swirl and all we can do is where? I was 16 years old. I went to a conference in Bloemfontein. We hung out at Mimosa Mall. And 5,000 people are worshiping Jesus and a man named Dudley Daniels goes, God, who wants to plant a church? And I'm, yes, me. I know nothing about church planting. Me, I want to go because I love this Jesus. And then you know what happens? You get a little bit older. You're like, whoa, church planting means that. Ooh, ooh. But the, when we see him, the first thing God does, and I think it's the reason we get captivated and the reason we call people, don't overprotect new Christians from living a gospel story. Don't overprotect your children from living a gospel story. Allow them to have their ventures. Allow them to stumble in grace. And the same way we learn to walk in life is the same way we learn to walk as a Christian. And we're all still learning to walk. And we also stumble and fall. <laughs> Everyone okay? I'm not angry. I'm just very in love with Jesus. And um, I was 18 years old and conflicted. And I had a girlfriend who I thought loved me lots. And on the night before we left for a three-week trip in a car to Tanzania, she broke up with me. And I got asked to go on this trip, and I'm thinking, yes, I've got to use all the money I've saved working at RJ's, selling burgers and serving ungrateful people, and get in a car, a Toyota Condor, not an Audi, not a, a Toyota Condor, drive 10,000 kilometers there and back, for what? To take the gospel. Well, when I initially thought about it, it was to go with my girlfriend as well, but that didn't transpire, so it became about the gospel. But why do that? Because people need to taste and see. And the tornado of the gospel gets inside. When we encounter Jesus, we become a man or woman on mission. You don't, it's not an optional extra. It's not a serving Sunday. Well, I think I'll serve. We're not going to put out mission Sunday forms. Who wants to go on mission? I'm telling you, the day Jesus said, you, whoop, and revealed himself to you, you were born into mission. It's an amazing thing. Jesus, John verse 17, John chapter 17, verse 18, as you sent me, so I sent them into the world. Jesus was a sent one. Jesus was an extended one. And he says, I'm taking you out of this world so I can send you and extend you. And if the gospel is not extending your comfort zones and not breaking into the smallnesses of the world that the world would hold you in, I'm telling you, get captivated by Jesus again and get over the fact that the gospel is going to mess with your life. Cushy, comfortable Christianity in suburbia is not the design of the biblical gospel. I hate to tell you. And my job is not to make you feel comfortable that one day you'll spend eternity with heaven. That happens. That's the promise. My job is to say, can we take a whole world with us? 
And I was caught up as you read John chapter 17 and verse 13 before that scripture about Jesus sending. It says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. You want joy? Get on mission. You want joy? Respond to Jesus. Understand he sends you. And I'm telling you, joy happens. I'm telling you, we get caught up with anxiety and a whole bunch of things when we take our eyes off the gospel story. You want joy? Go with a friend and tell someone about Jesus. Honestly, do something for the gospel. Package from God. I think the best counseling sometimes, not all the time, and, and, and I'm not a professional counselor, but as I look at the scripture, I think sometimes the best counseling is get off the couch. Go and do something crazy for Jesus. Honestly, give something away. Do something. Love someone. Get on mission. Jesus was the ultimate missionary. He was born into it. He lived it. He died it. He was the ultimate, ultimate missionary. But I'm telling you, we aren't blessed to be blessed. We were called out of darkness, called out of smallness, washed by His grace and His love so that we could be a blessing. I don't care how you arrived here. I'm telling you, you're called to be sent out of your blessing. It doesn't matter what condition you arrive at the front doors of the church and on your knees before the glory of God. What matters is how you go out and that you go out a blessing to this world, to your boss, to your neighbor, to your friends, to your world. So Gavin Flea or plant flea. Gavin Flea are planting a church with a team. Are we going to celebrate that? In two, three weeks' time, we're going to make a big moment of that two weeks' time. But I'm telling you, it's going to cause some change. I love having him here. He's a great worship leader. He brings courage to me when I'm feeling down. He challenges me. But it's not about me, and it's not about him. And he loves some of you so much, and he knows he's not going to see you every week. He is going to be here probably every six or five weeks preaching and ministering. Relax. Some of you will get your red top-up. I know you need it. I understand. I understand. We all need it. But leaving some of those comforts, here's the very harsh comfort. It could fail. <laughs> and I remember, gave us gung-ho, woo! And then we made the announcement to the church, and I could just check that a little bit like, woo, it's actually very real now. It's not just an idea. It's good that there's a reality, that things can fail. I'm telling you, if you aren't living a life that is an element that could drop the ball, we aren't holding on to Jesus because we're in control. But here's the promise in going. I will be with you. I will bless you. There is a blessing in going that's promised. That's the mark of a believer on mission. There's other marks peace and righteousness and joy, yes. But as I read the scripture, I think part of the mark is on mission. God breaks in and when we're living for him, his blessing starts to invade our lives. We don't even know how to recognize it sometimes. And I want to make a few points around Milton. John Bishop made this statement and I hold on to it. Risk everywhere, everything. Reach everywhere and release everyone. I find that incredibly challenging. Risk everything. Risk being messy, risk being spontaneous, risk taking chances and jumping to the unknown, risk being foolish for Jesus, and then reach everywhere. 
But God, I'm not sure I really like those people. I don't care. Get out. But I'm not sure it's going to be fun. I don't care. Get out. And release everyone. We don't have a big staff here. We don't have a hobby. And for these guys to go and plant, it's like, it's like saying all you, everything you were doing, you're just going to double. You're just going to double. We need double worship leaders. You thought about that? We need double serving teams. We need, and, and what's happening is all the guys who have been gung-ho and, and, and I think uh, Stanley and Anna's guys are saying, we're in, we're in. They're all going to Milneton because they're up for an adventure. So we need to rise up and we need to respond and say, actually, we understand the value of local church. It's not the everything of mission, but it's a beautiful part of mission. We need to rise up and respond, not because the church is calling you and it's something you have to do, but because the tornado of the gospel has so wrecked your comfort zones. I never wanted to be a preacher. I've told you before and I'll tell you again. I'm so glad God allowed and so messed up my world that I get to do this. I get to go to my 20-year reunion this year. Those are fun moments. The last time I had a reunion was a wedding I went to and did. But I was late. A flight got delayed in Joburg. I landed in Durban. And all my mates were there. They'd all be living in Australia and England. None of them knew I was now a pastor. Actually, at the time, I was still in, working for Unilever, and I just happened to be doing the wedding. But I arrived late, and the guys said, come, sit here, sit, sit here. I said, guys, I've got to go to the front. No, come sit here. There's no seats. Come. I said, I've got to go to the front. Said, Why are you going to the front? I'm doing the wedding. What? <laughs> I'm doing the wedding. You. Yes. But we thought you just like going to church on Sundays. Like your mom told you or something. Well, there was that. But I love Jesus. Why multi-site? Number one, God is an extending God. We've dealt with that. Number two, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20 to 23. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. Paul says, I'm, I become weak for the weak. I become a Jew to the Jews. I become a slave to the slaves. It's unbelievably powerful. And then he says this amazing line, all things, I become all things to all people that by all means some might get saved. Are we prepared to be a household of salvation that will build according to? See, here's the thing. You can preach Noah and the ark like this. God chose Noah and his family just to build a ship where he could incubate his family. And the whole story of Noah is about Noah and his family. Or did God say to Noah, go and tell them? And did Noah go and tell them? And they just not turn. The ark was built to be an ark of salvation for people and more than just Noah's family. And as we build the church, we're not building it to say, well, how many can we accommodate? What sort of church would we like? Are 200 nice sheepies. Nice ones. Okay, give us five tough ones. Come on, God. It's manageable. We can have area coordinators and it'll all be fixed and everyone knows everyone. Or do we understand that risk everything, risk being a bit messy and that actually multi-site is not a, a new way of doing church. It's not some cultish way of doing church. The Methodists have been doing it for years, getting on their horse to their next site. Whoop! Thank you, Jesus. We don't have to get on horses anymore. Very grateful to him for that. Be embarrassing. We'd never get there in time. But it's, but it's all this model, and we're saying, God, actually, it doesn't matter. We'll do anything to see people saved. 
The New Testament has this demonstration of leaders that, that are not essentially local. And Paul is writing letters to the church, and he's not writing as, as anything other than to the churches in the area, to the churches in Ephesus, to the churches. We don't know the nature of those relationships. This church, as just to clear unless you're asking, what is a multi-sider? Understand that. We are one church who just happened to meet in two locations. But understand this. We already have a congregation in Milneton. Janine lives in Milneton. Louise, you guys don't live in Milneton. See, we've got different congregations. I was going with that, but it didn't quite roll. Gordon, you're married to Janine, so you also live in Milneton. That's a good thing. But we, and, and we already have a congregation in Milneton. They just don't meet there. They meet here. We have an evening meeting. Most of the you have never seen the people who come at 6 p.m. on a Sunday night. You've never seen them. That's okay. They're still part of this church. You ask them, you'll meet them. They'll say, what church? I'm at Life No, I'm at Life Changes. No, I'm at Life That's okay. Because God has us on a mission, and it's okay. We don't want to lose the intimacy and the touch. But understand this. It's not the intimacy at the touch at the expense of the mission. And God and His story. I'm trying to answer some of your questions. It's been around for years. It's not new. Some practical realities is that we are very full. So actually, some of you got to get out. <laughs> and understand the main reason is not that. The reason is in Milton, there's a whole bunch of people, and people here have friends. And they go to dinner and say, why don't you come to church? They say, where's your church? Ah, it's in Tableview, 15 minutes. And you know the psyche. People are happy to drive into town. They're not happy to drive this way. So why? Do life where your friends don't want to come. Go and impact. Create a community in that space. That's what churches were always meant to do anyway. Is expressions of tasting and seeing in local communities. Building and understanding that communities, as we grow, we want to, there's, a, there's a concept of as we get bigger, we want to get smaller. If we multiply and we take this thing and we go, hey God, all of a sudden those communities become slightly smaller. We start losing less touch. I am concerned with even some of the growth here, some of you have been here for weeks and, and you haven't had a chance to find people, to find lives, to find connections. And it's a concern for me because actually we're meant to look after and know the condition of our sheep. And this helps us do that. There are other factors in the story. One of them is the credibility of a Wally and Shirley planting story in the community. Life change has been here for 16 years. And the days of planting churches, well, get out. The Bible says get out, so get out. We give you nothing, do nothing. And actually, Wally and Shirley get in there, Foxy, and they drive down to Cape Town. It was a bus. Folk, bus. Foxy bus. Foxy bus. Don't want to exaggerate. With their two daughters and, a, and maybe a few months' salary, and then, good luck. We'll pray for you. That's how we planted churches for years. And in some ways, it's suicide. Yes, God can do amazing things. And he has done amazing things. And, and it takes seven years to go from three people in your church who were your family to 20. But understand this. We are looking to plant 60 or 70 people into Milneton. There's credibility. There's energy. There's team. There's accountability. There's all that stuff. And people go, okay, we can join the story. Just telling you, that's real factors. We want them to flourish, us to flourish. We are planting a church. And there's a whole bunch of things but another factor is, is I'm friends with Rigby Wallace and I'm friends with others who have seen the life of God in the story. Part of it is about them. Why Gabe and Fee, well, they're gifted for this. They're called to do this. So we can say, well, actually, you're growing too big and, and you're a better preacher than me, so you better go. 
Or do we love each other? I love this man. I really do love this man. I'm so proud of them. And we get to pioneer together. It's unbelievable. So I trust that you're playing. I'm just trying to answer your questions because I understand this. I know that something like this can look like the motivation of imperialism or Marx wanting to extend territory. Please understand, I've been reluctant. I arrived in Cape Town completely reluctant to do multi-site because of my own prejudices. Completely reluctant. And God has had to get in and shape some stuff to understand that it's not actually about me. It's about Him and His kingdom. So what do we extend? Well, we're not extending Mark and beaming Mark in on video. I'm far no, not good looking enough for that and definitely not a good enough preacher to preach on screen. Plus, they've got gifts and we can multiply gifts, multiply person, uh, opportunities to minister. So we get to do all of that in this expression. Gabe and Fee get to run and express and build some things and it'll look a lot like us and feel a lot like us, but there will be some uniquenesses. But the thing that will run through all of it is a passion for Jesus and a DNA called Life Changes Church. That's what we want to build. And I think it's so important. You see, often vision, and, and Tim Keller says, if from the pulpit it's mist, beyond that in the pews it's fog. I don't want you to go, well, we're doing something called multi-site. It looks like spa all over the country. Yeah, that's my best analogy. Please don't use that analogy. It's a family that's extending and growing and said, well, actually, you need to get out, go expand, go grow, go see the kingdom of God advancing. And I was going to speak some prophetic words. There were prophetic words from Inga Stein in March, and Judy sent through a picture. Maybe you can pop that picture up, slide number 15. If you can't see, she, she sent me, and before I said anything to her, she says, this is what I'm feeling, a picture of a hen and chicken plant. Now, I'm no botanist, so that doesn't mean squat to me. But a hen and chicken plant is this plant that grows, and from the same base grows another expression, and it doesn't put down roots, it plants again. So, okay, God, what are you saying? Inga comes. I, I, see multi, I see something of life changes where Mark's still involved, and I see God doing it in the city, and she hasn't got language for multi-site, but it, 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 it looks like Milneton. Okay, okay, God, we didn't go, where's the greatest target market? No, we just said, where's the life of God? We've got a whole bunch of amazing people from Milneton. Why don't we go there? Honestly, there was no major strategy. There was no demographics of the city. Maybe we should have. I'd rather go with faith. God spoke. And... Um, and, and we've got to ask the questions. There's a whole bunch of questions the guys can pick up next week. Can you put up slide number 17, please? Gabe and Wally. Wally's going to share some of the original dream and see how God has been faithful and promised on that front. And Gabe's going to speak about some of the dream there. I just want you to know that this is God. Theodore Roosevelt, an amazing theologian. No, just a great leader, said this. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. I look at the gospel, 
I look at Jesus, I don't see lukewarm. I look at the gospel, I look at Jesus, I don't see, let's stay safe. I look at the gospel, I look at the lives that Jesus broken, I see, let's take a risk on the gospel and be a people who are up for some kingdom adventures. I trust that's clear. I've left out a whole bunch and there's more questions. We'll put them out in, in blogs. I want us to go on mission together. If this in your minds is a Mark and Gabe thing, we're already finished. But if we as a people can pray, can pine and to fight. Let me pray because it is hot. No hotter than up here. And I'm just building your expectation for Econ next week. Sorry, Gabe, you won't have Econ in Wilmington. Eh? Part of the cost, buddy. Jesus, actually, can we stand together? Just, if you can just breathe in. Just breathe him in. This is not about life changes. It's not about Mark. It's not about Gabe and Fee. It's about Jesus. My greatest prayer, God, is that we would see you. Pray for every person here. I know some are saying, God, I've worshipped, I've been faithful, I I can see the evidence of God's grace, but I haven't had a moment of, I saw him. I know, God, that you aren't silent. I know you're not hiding. And I know that you're seated on your throne. I pray, and my greatest prayer in this process, in this journey, is that men and women would see you and be captivated by you. And the tornado of the gospel that brings life, freedom, peace, and joy would invade and that our comforts would fall as your grace and your glory arises and that more men and women would see you and that more men and women would see you wherever they're at today. We worship you, Jesus. We give our hearts in surrender to you today and we say we love you. We are captivated by the glorious King.